Welcome to Better Words, a podcast for readers who want to know the stories behind the pages. We're your hosts, Caitlin and Michelle, two book nerds who bring you in-depth conversations about writing and publishing from those on the inside. Basically, we're just here to talk about books. We're so glad you're joining us. Hello! Welcome to the last episode of Season 7 of Better Words. How cool is that? I can't believe we've done that many seasons. I know. I mean, we've we've done like, you know, kind of two a year for the past couple of years, probably. So, you know, the but season seven sounds yeah. very cool um, in about four um, years of this. <laughs> I think that we've got into quite a nice rhythm. Yeah. With everything. Um, so, you know, we are yet to finalize everything for season eight, obviously, because we're going to take a nice break. But yeah, we usually sort of We'll be back around March ish. Yeah, somewhere around there. And then again, like this same time frame, we'll at be the season end of next nine. Year. Yeah, so it's quite nice. It's quite a nice, like, bit at the start of the year, bit of a break, bit at the end of the year. Yeah. Works really well. It yeah. does. We hope that you like it as well um, and enjoy it as much as we do. Um, hopefully, I mean, obviously. We would love to be able to do this all year round, but you know, the, work, the quality, <laughs> yeah, the, the quality, the color, the quality would not be there. So no. hopefully, you know, the interviews are great. We pick books that you find interesting, maybe some that you know you haven't heard of before or haven't thought to read before, as well as some that you're familiar with. And yeah, if by doing it this way, we get to give you better quality discussions and interviews and stuff. So we are very proud of this last season. We are. I think, you know, we'll probably continue to say this, but like this past season that we've just finished up, it it is our best one yet. Like we just, I mean, like, excuse us while we say we keep getting better and better. We're very excited. (laughs) Um, But yeah, we've been very excited about this season. We've had so, I mean, all of our guests have just been completely amazing as they all are but oh man season seven was a good season it was indeed yes and hopefully some really I mean hopefully we just keep getting better and better and we can literally say that we can keep saying it I mean I would hope that we don't get to the end of season eight and go well was not as good (laughs) as season (laughs) (laughs) um, pretty bad while we are Uh, going on about all of this you know dear listeners um if you would like to leave us a rating or review on whatever platform that you're listening on or share that you're listening on Instagram stories or something, we just love that. And that, you know, helps people find out about the podcast. So that would also be good. But yeah. And also like send us a message if you've read any of the books that we talk yeah. about, if it's one of the ones that we've recommended, um, you know, in any of our intros or that we've read together, like tell us your thoughts on the books. We are clearly here to talk about books and so we will appreciate all your thoughts on any of the books that we featured this season or if you think that there's something that we would like to maybe read that you want to recommend us I mean yes always want recommendations as well (laughs) yeah I mean it's dangerous for our bookshelves but yeah if there's anything and if there's anything that you know of coming out next year you think that should be on our list of potential interviews please do get in touch as well because we are always happy yes, to hear about Yes, open to recommendations, well. open to suggestions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we will be back in your feed before the end of the year and before our next season because we do have some exciting ideas for some fun little bonus episodes. Yeah. Little like um, mini bonuses. Probably, like we'll probably do like an end of year wrap up or like some summer reading recommendations or you know stuff like that so hopefully and maybe like books that we're looking forward to next year I don't know but we've got a few ideas that we'd like to kick around so yeah we'll definitely do a reading wrap up though because actually funnily enough when I look at our stats Caitlin our 2020 favorites and stuff is actually still one of our most downloaded I know so clearly people like that stuff. So hopefully yeah. we can 2021 favourites is the same. <laughs> yeah. So we'll like to give you some more recommendations. And obviously like we just read both. We read so many books that we don't always get to mention on the podcast. We try obviously, but um, yeah, this is our way of squeezing in a few more recommendations for you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. 
Now, so speaking of, our book club, now yeah. <laughs> we have another recommendation for everyone because it's our book club week. So this week, Michelle and I have both read Excuse Me While I Ugly Cry by Joya Goffney. I really like this. It's very cute. It's so um, cute. And the title is... Me- the title is very fun and grabbing, obviously. Like, yeah. it's such a grabby title. Like, you like, immediately I, go, what is this book about? So read us the blurb, Michelle. And I think, fun fact, I think I saw this at the library and then we were looking for some books to finish up the season on and this was one we were like, "Oh, we should do this. Um, so definitely the title caught my eye. Uh, so... <clears throat> My journal is like my foundation. It doesn't tell me where I'm going. It tells me where I've been. I don't know who I am without it. Quinn Jackson is black, 18, vegetarian, a chronic list maker, crushing on Carter Bennett, socially awkward, living a lie, lost without her journal, being blackmailed, and about to face her truth. A passionate, heartfelt, and addictive rom-com full of juicy secrets and leap-off-the-page chemistry about having courage to be honest, to live in the moment, and fall in love. <laughs> uh, so cute. <laughs> it's such a sweet book, but I have to i have to be fully honest. Like, I started reading it, and it didn't grab me, like, necessarily in the first chapter. I was like, okay, I'm interested, but, like, I was a bit, because it's a library book as well, I was a bit like, mm, okay, okay, this is okay, yeah. And then we got to the blackmailing bit and I was like, oh, okay, yeah. now I'm interested. Like it it did take me, and by a little it does time, take I mean, a it second. was still like yeah, to, 60 yeah. pages in. It wasn't. Yeah, it's not far. You know, it doesn't take yeah. too much to get into it. But, yeah, I probably had the same thing. And at the beginning of the book also I was like, oh, you know, the title is like so funny and grabby like what's this you know what's that going to be about and everything and funnily I think the further I got into the book I was like I don't like the title (laughs) it's a bit different from what to actually expect yeah like I it's one of those things that's alone looking at like you know the cover and like everything I it's so it's such a beautiful cover it's colorful the title is funny it totally grabs you in. But then when I was actually reading the book inside, I was like, oh, I don't know if I totally love this title for this book, but I can see, you know, why it was chosen. And it's because like, what I don't know what else you would call it. Like the blackmailers yeah. list or something like that's boring. <laughs> like, I don't know. Yeah. So, um, classic me didn't even read the blurb so the blackmail was a surprise to me because um, <laughs> it didn't I didn't read the back of the book I just purely go off like I think I just went off the cover yeah I the cover is even, great honestly I like... didn't even really read it but I love um so like we like we read in the blurb Quinn makes like 10 million lists she has a list journal and so interspersed with the story are like handwritten uh you know lists that she makes so um let me just see if I can find like a quick list um (laughs) uh for example Carter is a judgmental asshole I know it all holier than thou pretentious bastard not as great as he looks I wish I never got a peek into his ugly thoughts like it just they intersperse that throughout and then obviously like throughout the book you know, it'll be things like seven times Carter gives me dirty looks during the tour or things like, <laughs> let me get another one, uh, reasons I don't belong here or 10 things to do in Huntsville, Texas. And like, it, it just like goes with where she would maybe do a list or what she's thinking in her head. And I loved that. Yeah. I do yeah. like that because... I am such a list person as well. I write to-do lists constantly. And, like, <laughs> if I if I opened my notes up in my phone right now, I have, <laughs> look at this, weekend sewing list. I didn't do that. But <laughs> I had a lot of free time this weekend and I thought maybe I would do a few touch-ups and get my sewing machine out. I didn't, but weekend sewing list. There's the list for my Marvel rewatch project. <laughs> 
<laughs> list of photos to take for bookstagram like you know i write lists all the bloody time and so i love i love a list book um the other one that uh just while we're on list books uh that i read this year which was very sweet which was um a hundred remarkable feats of xander Mays. um Sarah collins one just quite just quickly but it was very very cute <laughs> But yeah, anyway, back to this list book. I really liked the characters in this book. Our four main characters are Quinn, obviously, Carter, Olivia, and Auden. And Auden's working on a group project with Quinn and Carter. And I love, like, they all, like, wag school together to go to see a college campus. They, you know, help Quinn complete this list that she's written that her blackmailer has leaked. Um, but I really liked all the friendships that formed there. They were such great characters. And I love the way that everything was handled, like, quite maturely. Like, I mean, the characters are 18, mm. so that makes sense. Um, but just some things that I didn't expect uh, when certain revelations were made. And I think it's funny because, like, obviously Quinn doesn't expect it either. Yeah. She has a idea about how certain things will go and then Olivia is like such a gem and deals with them in a totally unexpected way and I loved that um I think I really liked that too because that's kind of that thing when you're that age and like maybe make new friends compared to some of your other friends and you think that you know certain behavior and friendships and things like that is normal and it's like well (laughs) No, a good friend <laughs> would not, you know, would take time to hear your side of the story, for example, and, you know, rather than just cutting you off and being a very, very dramatic teenage girl. Um, yeah, definitely. Um, I think something else important to talk about, obviously, is the fact that race plays a huge part mm. in in this story. So I actually, I think it's probably best just to even read some of the reviews that are printed at the start of the book because I think they sum it up better than we could. At its heart, this is a story about finding the courage to be honest and take risks and the freedom that follows from embracing authenticity, a perfect mix of humour and romance and a source of inspiration for being brave. That's from Kirkus. And then Goffney's important debut novel navigates the messy feelings black teens may experience. This authentic look at the teen years will undoubtedly delight readers, and that's from Booklist, and that's another review. It's just so wonderful. And another review here calls it emotionally rich, and I I totally agree because on the surface there's this, like, you think it's going to be like this enemies-to-lovers trope and then it just goes in a completely different direction. The romance is super, super sweet, really lovely. Um, and again, like not a typical teen romance, not that there's anything wrong with that. Um, but yeah. I think also the and conversations really, yeah, around the use of certain like words yeah. and certain things and also the fact that like talking about from Quinn's point of view why she didn't stand up for herself earlier or why she you know just the complex and complicated feelings that she as a black girl has about that and the fact that she has been surrounded by white friends her whole life and that's also what she's seen from her parents and stuff it's just a really interesting perspective um but also it's just a really great book and a really great romance book as well like that certainly doesn't make it feel super heavy or anything like that not that that's a problem because like we need to have those conversations but it's also just a delightful romance it's such a she's just hit the mark perfectly on all those yeah totally it's so so cute and I did you know all those discussions are really well done between you know having different experiences growing up with Quinn talking to Carter and to Olivia to then you know confronting her friends um even the discussions that I had with like the principal and the teachers about some things that happen at school and um Quinn talking to her own parents about like their experiences growing up and going to college and what her experience has been and how you know those things have changed and like even there was a moment where Quinn's talking to her father and he's he says you know you're you're right like we've kind of ended up with all of our family friends 
you know, we've always had white friends and that's not good. And yeah. Yeah. And talking about that, I thought it was, re- it was so well done. I want to see this as a movie. Oh, I such really a cute like, oh, this is such a perfect like Netflix movie. Yeah. Um, you can just picture it. Like it's just so, so good. Yes, it would be such a cute movie. I think in my head I was already kind of picturing Olivia as Amanda Sternberg because she's so cute. She's in Jerevan yeah. Hansen, but I haven't seen that yet. Yeah, and yeah. she's she's star Cardo in The Hate You Give, so like mm. another amazing young adult adaptation. She would just be so good. Oh, I need to watch The Hate You Give again as well. Um, yeah, I, I think it would just be such a cute movie. I really hope that that happens. But it's like how many amazing debut novels as well have we been lucky enough to read this year? Like oh, I can't believe that some of these are debut novels. It's I know. amazing. Like this, this is, is- – incredible this one is like yeah very very good for a debut because as we've said it really does hit like all elements of the story really well with you know the romance and the friendship and the family dynamics and the what do you do after high school like there's like just about every element that a YA novel can be about is in this book almost it's so so nuanced and again like we said about social cue as well given that the characters are like 18 in this and a bit older even yeah. though it does there's take an element of... in high school, it's a crossover, I think. Yeah. You know, that there's – it's so wonderfully portrayed. There's nuanced. that element of, like, slightly more mature than if the characters were, like, 15, mm. you know, and yeah. this kind of thing and, is happening. And the parents I – mean, I mean, I know a lot of complaints sort of get made generally about, you know – the old teen books where the parents are completely absent. Like mm. the parents are such an important part of this story and Quinn's conflict with them is sorted out in a really mature way, even though at, at first you're like, oh, my God, tell your parents, girl. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, but eventually, you know, that that's really and, – and you do get a peek at their relationship as well. And I think that's really important when the character's 18 because – you as a child totally pick that up in your parents. Like it's really great that that's not ignored um, and not just like, oh, yeah, her parents just let her do whatever she wants. Um, I just wanted to add to that I love that, you know, I was looking at a little bit of the bio for Joya Goffney um, and that her own um, random list making inspired the book. Um, so in high school, she challenged herself with to-do lists full of risk-taking items like hug a random boy and eat a cricket. And that, that sort of list stuff is it inspired the novel, which I love. Um, and she also, you know, has attended the University of Texas, which gets mentioned in there a lot. And it's obviously very like even reading it, obviously not being from that area or anything, a bit like we say about Brisbane and stuff in certain books, like you can tell that the person who wrote this, like it's very, the setting is still very present yeah. and I enjoyed that as well. So, yeah, we both loved Excuse Me While I Ugly Cry by Joya Goffney. Highly recommend that. Um, and we picked up our own copies as well. Mine's from the library. Caitlin, I think you bought yours. I did first week copy. I went shopping first weekend I could after New South Wales was out of lockdown and I bought I bought this. I bought one of Pitt Parry's books that I haven't read yet. I bought a copy of Cinderella is Dead because I didn't own one. We read that um, an e-copy when we interviewed Kaylin last year. But, yeah, I was just like, give me books. I want to buy yes. them. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is totally acceptable way to celebrate the lockdown ending and I hope everyone's supporting their small business bookshops. Um, when I was in Brisbane recently, I went to uh, Riverbend Books actually with Kay Kerr, who's one of our fave authors, um, and went book shopping and spent an eye-watering amount on money. But, well, I didn't feel too bad because one of the books was a Christmas present for Jack and it was quite expensive. So, you know, I'm getting ahead there. But yeah, it also felt good to be going back into an indie bookshop and supporting yeah. local authors yeah, and stuff yeah. again. Yeah, yeah, it was really nice. So, yeah, oh, my gosh, thank you so much for listening to this season of the podcast. We we just we appreciate 
you guys so much for listening to us and for, you know, coming to chat with us on Instagram and, and to every, like every author that we interview, we absolutely love them. And I think we're still like in awe that we get to do this, you know, (laughs) absolutely. it's not a job. We just do it. (laughs) Yeah. You know, no one's paying us. No. no one said we could we're just doing it um but yeah we're so glad that you know you your continued support by listening um and by you know cheering on the authors that we cheer on and stuff as well that's why we keep doing it and yeah we just bloody love reading yep <laughs> so that's yeah. it just yeah that's excited. it that's basically it that's what we love that's our life um so yeah thank you so much for joining us And now it's time for our last interview of the season. Our guest this week was born and raised in England, but now lives in Perth with her husband and young daughters. She's previously worked as an editor in-house at HarperCollins UK and then also doing freelance work and she's worked on many popular titles. She loves dystopian fiction so much so that she's studying the genre for a PhD at Curtin University. So it will come as no surprise that we are discussing her somewhat dystopian thriller, her brand new novel, The Hush. Welcome, Sarah Foster, to Better Words. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for joining us. We are so excited to talk about The Hush because as all of our listeners know and you know, I work at HarperCollins. So I've heard about this one coming for many, many months now, as long as the publishing process is. But I think it was right around the time at the start of this year, Michelle, we really started saying that we like reading probably mostly contemporary fiction, but anything with a feminist punch. And then I heard your publisher describe this book by saying, oh, it's got a real feminist punch. And I was like, ears pricked up. (laughs) I want it. (laughs) I want to read it. So to start us off, I suppose you better tell us and our listeners, if they don't know already, what The Hush is all about. Yes, well, The Hush is set about five to ten years into the future. It's set in England um, at a time when there's been an increasing number of unexplained stillbirths right across the country and pregnant teenage girls are also going missing. So in response to this, the government has clamped down on women's freedoms and has also increased their powers of surveillance across the entire population. And into this story come my mother-daughter characters of Lainey and Emma. So they're really living in the thick of it. And Emma is a midwife at the local hospital, and she's determined to help the women who need her. Meanwhile, Lainey is a student at the local high school, and her friend Ellis is one of the missing So as we go along and things get more and more complex, these two realise just how much personal danger they might be in. And to look for help, they need to turn to their fabulous group of friends. And these amazing women are going to try and help them get to safety while also figuring out what's going on in the world. Yeah, it's pretty chilling, the the concept and the world that we're sort of thrown into. Yeah, even before, you know, it gets really real in the book. Um, it's quite, yeah, it's scary and everything. How, I mean, although even in saying that and listening to you describe it and reading it, you think this is scarily close to the world that we live in. But yes. how did you come up with this like idea and this concept for this novel? Well, I think the scariest thing about the whole thing as it's ended up is that I have only just had to tweak things that are happening in the news all the time to make a fictional world like this. But originally, my idea was uh, when I first had my first child back in 2009, I had quite a lot of time on my hands, funnily enough, while I was breastfeeding and and awake in the middle of the night. And I was reading a lot of dystopian fiction of the time. So that was a time when Hunger Games wasn't really that old and lots of fiction was still coming out. um, Divergent, There's Only Ever Yours, lots of different feminist fiction. That was like Um, the height of all the YA dystopia. Yeah. 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 And I love that you mentioned Only Ever Yours as well by Louise O'Neill, who we've had the pleasure of interviewing. We didn't talk about that book, but I definitely, like, in terms of feminist dystopian novels, that is 
absolutely wonderful and I definitely get um a vibe of that in the hush as well like now that you mentioned I'm like oh yes I can see definite similarities there and yeah. in, in the vibe that's created so yeah yeah well, I guess one of the nice things about The Hush is that I feel like I've really been able to build on a platform that so many amazing women writers have um, set for me, really. Um, so what I began to notice when I was looking at all these books that the mothers weren't very present in the books. They were often either murdered, missing, ineffective, ineffectual. And I began to wonder why that was, because I was thinking, I guess just having a young girl myself, your baby girl, I was thinking about how I was going to mother her and how the different generations related to each other. And that really snowballed as I read more and more and was going, where are these mothers into the idea for... Why aren't they taking care of their daughters? (laughs) Yeah. And I was thinking, okay, this is really interesting that this is happening a lot across the fiction. Um, And so I began to look at how I could explore that and actually applied to do a PhD with Curtin and got got started on that. And then I developed Lainey and Emma from there, my main characters, because what I then began to think was, what will happen if we reconnect the mothers and daughters in this kind? of fiction um how will that play out in the novel why is it important that we do that um and I began to wonder whether in fact by writing about the disconnection and the tragedy and the heartbreak all the time which is very real um for women's lives but we're always highlighting that disconnection rather than actually looking at what happens when we have the connection so I brought that together in the novel and began to think about how that might work but it was quite a while. I was doing that quite a while until I found the back, the main story, the world building story. Just constantly thinking, I know who these characters are and I know how they work together. I know how they relate to each other. But what world are they living in? And when I came across what was happening in the world, it was a real chiller moment. You know, I, I had a flash of inspiration and I spent the rest of the day with chills running down me because although it was awful, I felt that it was really important that I said it in that kind of word where so, world where something so significant to women again is occurring. And I knew I'd got the idea then and it all set off from there. Just sort of ran with it. That's amazing. The other thing that I guess I find really interesting about this book is that, as you said, it's set like five, seven, ten years in the future. Like it's not not very far away, which is terrifying but why such a close future why not further or even like an alternate universe or something did that make it like did that make it easier did that make it harder how was writing such a close future well probably a couple of reasons for me I've always written contemporary fiction so to go right off into the future or very science fiction type world was probably going to be a lot harder to do so it's probably that element of it However, I also think that having this kind of world where it's all very close just adds to the sense of claustrophobia. And I guess part of what I'm doing in the book, it's a fiction and, you know, I hope it's read as a really good fiction thriller story, but it's also got this thread of social commentary running through it. And, you know, I wanted to be able to add these ideas and these thoughts and these elements of women's lives into the book and people to really feel that connection with those characters so by keeping it close didn't realize how close it was going to be and how relevant it was going to be because I started this back in 2015 you know before Donald Trump was president before the Me Too movement before COVID so as I've written it life has changed so much but the writing I've also tweaked to keep it relevant as I've gone along so I think a couple of reasons why I did that. That's actually something that I wanted to ask you so Obviously, something that I noticed very early on, I think, you know, within the first few pages is you mention this world um, with COVID and everything, and it's woven very explicitly into the novel and mentioned a couple of times. Obviously, I was going to ask, was that the plan? But obviously it wasn't. (laughs) So at what point were you like, oh, I really need to change this this is because you know obviously at the start of last year we were all expecting this to be like a relatively quick thing but we're seeing obviously that it's changing so much of our world and our society so at what point were you like 
oh, better tweak that. Yeah, well, I tweaked it all the way along, really, because when COVID began, I had a moment where I was thinking, I just can't write this book. It's too much for people right now. It's too hard. Mm. Um, you know, we've got this um, pandemic which affects babies in my book almost. So mm. that's a really, really challenging starting point to write from. Um, but I was thinking th that is the setting of the book, but really I'm writing about the power of women really and that was what drove me through it's like the power of female relationships the power of these women to come together and figure out how to fight back in the worst possible circumstances which I really felt this was and so when I began to think about how to wind the pandemic through the book I constantly adjusted it to the very end so that if you've read a proof I've, already, I've changed it since then as well because I although I put COVID in I actually found that I thought that was too confronting in the end so I've just relabeled it the pandemic for the finished copies um, oh okay yeah so yeah because yeah, we've had our copies for a little while yeah. and I was you know Caitlin and I've been saying multiple times throughout this season that we're excited to see how even though it's obviously such a horrendous situation that we've all been through it is exciting to think okay what new art will come from this and what you know dramas there's so much fodder there for human experiences and actually I can't bring myself to watch it yet because I know it's going to be very confronting from the bits that I've seen on Gogglebox but there was a drama in the UK the name escapes me I think it was just called Help um, with Stephen Graham in it and that was set in a care it was very much the events of what happened in a care home wow. and it's very raw and real um, but it's interesting to see how we weave those situations that obviously affect our society and what art comes of that um, and yeah. so actually one of the I, I texted Caitlin and I was like oh my god this is so cool that you know we have this mention of it it's very it's one of the first fictional things I've read that is bringing that in and I I loved that but I totally understand why you relabel it as well yeah. because also like it, it does make it even more timeless yeah, yeah definitely yeah. and it, it is both like I actually found it really um obviously as scary as lots of things in the world of the hush is I actually found it really kind of fun that Lainey remembered all oh, that pandemic thing that happened when she was in primary school and yeah. even yeah. there was and a bit where was she was like in England yeah yeah, yeah. and that you know it happened when she was in like year seven or something and yeah. there was also even a section where she was like oh I was just listening to this old Billie Eilish song and I'm like ah it's like you remember that yeah. people yeah. keep growing up um yeah. And, yeah you know this will all be behind us soon enough yeah. but hopefully yeah. not into this world that you've created <laughs> yeah <laughs> like as much as I love the book and the world that you've created please god let it not be true <laughs> yeah. Yeah. very scary um and you know something the one of the other questions that I said to Kate I'm like oh we need to ask this but I have somewhat of an answer because since then I've found out that you know because I looked, I was, I started reading, I was like, this is very clearly set in England. And I had to like flip through and I was like, no, no, it definitely says she's in Western Australia. So <laughs> I was like, why did she set it in England? But your background is obviously English. Um, but, you know, why did you choose? to not do it in Australia? Really, it was practical purposes. So when I started thinking of the book and I was trying to get characters from one place to another and, and keep everybody close, and it was it was much more claustrophobic <laughs> in England because there's such yeah. a greater density of population, um, the island's so much smaller, and it just... Yeah seemed to fit a lot better I felt like there was just too many too many wide open spaces in Australia to really oh. grab that feeling of yeah. claustrophobia whereas in England you know it's very quick to get from one place to another I wanted it quite near a seat of power but far enough away that we still felt like they lived in their own town with a, their own things happening but that people could theoretically be connected to that town and everything just aligned with more of an English bent you know in that way yeah. but I really do choose the setting for the story like that so I've done in past stories I've chosen differently because I wanted that sense of space or yeah or different types of um, backgrounds or settings so yeah it was just a practical decision when I began to figure out what they were going to do. Yeah, I love that. And also, like, I think already the UK has for many years been known as a place that 
has a lot of that surveillance already and like a, a massive array of CCTV networks across that link up across the whole country yeah. which we don't It would just be easier to hide there. in Australia yes. wouldn't it? It would be easier yes. 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 way into the bush and hide. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and in one, of yeah, my other did actually... in one of my other books The Hidden Hours I'd um, had a real problem trying to keep the people away from the CCTV so I guess <laughs> I'd already felt my sense of claustrophobia because I was thinking it must be so much easier to write a murder mystery 50 years ago and there was no cctv because everything oh, they did, I was yeah. thinking they'd be filmed <laughs> i often think that when i watch when i watch you know like i i love heartbeat and you know when i watch that obviously set in the 60s and i just think like half the plot points are worked out if you have smartphones like yes. You just, there's so many plot points in a murder mystery yeah. that arise because somebody can't get in contact with someone else. And yeah. it just, yeah, you do sort of think, oh, it must have been easier when you could have all that. Now it's just like, yeah, just trace this and it's so, much, it's so much faster. But um, can I ask where you're from in England? Yes, I was born in Blackburn in Lancashire, but I grew up in Norwich in Norfolk. So I've been in the North and the South, which has been very useful for the craft <laughs> <laughs> yes, and I'm married to a Yorkshireman as well so that also uh, helps <laughs> I mean I'm sure he tells you all the time like God's county right like just the best county in the world it <laughs> is pretty were, um, cool <laughs> it's it's it is beautiful it really is my heart is there for sure I love the landscape and the dialects and the you know it changes so quickly even if you just drive a couple of hours and I've enjoyed using that in other books as well and I've, I've kind of missed that in the books that I've done recently where I've gone much more urban and so yeah I'd like to get back to some of those beautiful English landscapes that's on stage <laughs> yeah and I guess the other thing um that I guess again happens you must have these moments now that you've written the book as well where you just feel like again there's so much inspiration and things are mirroring in the real world because unfortunately I only caught up on the news today but um, I saw that an MP was killed in Britain um, on Friday and without giving any spoilers something significant like that happens in the book and it's a very shocking moment and it's obviously just shocking to be reading about it and seeing things mirrored like were there points I know you said that at the start of COVID it was you felt like maybe this wasn't the right book for people to read but you know were there points when you were writing and you just thought oh I'm just going to do something light and just leave this world for a bit. Like, did it ever get too much for you? Maybe at times in a small sense, but I think I'm really driven by the passion of writing about these women and that I have enjoyed researching so much. Uh, I've been able to read across kind of feminist gender studies. I mean, I still feel like there's mountains, you know, that I'd love to explore, but even what I've done, I feel like I've been really schooled in some of the details of the feminist movement the problems that we have as women and the actual urge to write about strong women was always the driver behind the book so I think I never felt like I was writing about a rotten world more than I was writing about the women who fight fought back against it who fight back against it and that has been the bit that's really close to my heart and kept me going because sometimes when the news has been going on and particularly it has been a freaky book in terms of echoing current affairs as well Um, there's a bit quite near the beginning where Lainey and her friends go to a protest uh, and there's quite a clamp down when they go there and there's been so much clamping down on protests particularly with um, young teenagers getting involved arrested and you know kind of like the the footage from the Sarah Everard protest in particular was really quite hard and disturbing yeah yeah so that that like popped into my mind as I was reading that as well Um, like having seen that while we were in England too yeah yeah so I think if I didn't have that driver of the other side of things and I I think yeah it's very personal to me as well because I've now not got that baby I've got a 12 year old going on 13 who (laughs) I have to grapple with all these issues with now and realizing that we we're not even given the language to talk about some of these issues and we are given such patriarchally constructed languages and situations within we're trying to deal with women-centered issues that 
actually redressing some of that. I'm just delighted to be able to take a small part in that with these books and to actually explore some of these themes. Yeah, definitely. Wow. Yeah, you should be so proud. And I hope that, you know, one day, maybe when she's a bit older, your daughter reads this book (laughs) and and feels the, yeah, that feminist punch in it. And yeah, I'm sure she'll be very proud. (laughs) Yeah. And you know, as you've said, the characters in this novel are just amazing. And there really is a whole big group of amazing women who kind of all come together to, yeah, fight the system and all of that. But obviously, particularly Lainey and then her mother, Emma. Um, And the book does swap perspectives. um, So we get to see both of their sides of what's going on. And it goes between them quite quickly sometimes. We're back and forth all the time. Was that always the like always how the story was written did one of their voices come to you first how did we how did you find Lainey and Emma so they were always going to be voices in the story I actually wanted to add more of the women's voices into the story to start with and then I had a little play with that and realized that it was cutting out that mother-daughter centrality that I wanted for this particular book But I love telling stories from multiple perspectives just because it's fascinating to be able to get those different facets of a complete picture. So when I realized it was just them, then the challenge was how do I tell the story from both their points of view without prioritizing one over the other so that you really Mm. want to stay with both of them? Because we all know that it's very easy to relate to one character more than another and be hoping to get back there all the time. Um, The pace of the book helped that because you do have to switch between them quite quickly uh, to keep that pace going. To keep up with everything that's going on. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And I think just what I loved so much about writing them was trying to figure out the small ways in which I could enhance the uh, depiction of their relationship in the story so there were just such small moments there's one moment where a friend of theirs comes around when something's happened and she wants to speak to Lainey and I wrote originally I wrote um Emma steps back so that late so that the woman can speak to Lainey and then I realized that if I wrote Lainey step forward it was adding a completely different kind of twist to the scene so it was like Mm. rather than Emma giving her permission she they're in that relationship where Lainey is entitled to speak in this mother-daughter relationship she doesn't have to wait for her mother's permission you know tiny little nuances like that I hope you you never know that I thought that through when you're just reading the story quickly but everything like that I tried to analyze in quite great detail so that both of them came across as two empowered women at different stages of their lives not necessarily agreeing with each other but certainly respecting one another caring for one another trusting one another and being determined to work together yeah well I think I think you did that I think that worked (laughs) yeah they're both both so strong yeah I I really enjoyed reading from both their perspectives um also particularly because, as you said at the beginning, they do have very different experiences of obviously this whole horrible situation with Emma working at hospitals, but Lainey, you know, seeing her peers go missing and being mistreated and all of that. So they have very different experiences of the situation, um, but then coming together and learning from each other and working together. It's really, really, really good. Absolutely. Yeah. And I was glad to be able to do that as well. I loved reconnecting those generations. As you know, there's another generation comes in halfway through the story um, and she's a force to be reckoned with as well in a very different way. So I felt like Mm -hmm. I had three very different women as well, not just the same character repeating. Um, And that was important as well to be able to them to understand each other's strengths and weaknesses, but not necessarily experience the same thing. I'm curious, you've talked about um how long a process it seemed writing these books like writing the hush I mean but you've written other books has this one (laughs) kind of sat in the back of your mind and in a tucked away word doc for a while before you keep working on it well this was definitely my passion book so and it was my PhD book so I wanted to give it a bit more time but I'm also forging a career as a writer so in the meantime I was writing other books as well yeah So every now and again, it's had to have a big pause. And you know, what? I think that's only done it good at the end of the day. I think it's allowed it to rest more than some of the other books get chance to. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really appreciate that as a writer, because I think you can then come back with a clearer perspective and dive into it again. Um, 
So it wasn't by design that I did it like that, but I'm glad it has taken so long because it's just allowed everything to evolve as it should. And it, and it does feel like it's hit its moment as well. It, it should be coming out now. So that's yeah, kind yes. of bizarre as well. It feels very timely. Yes. Yeah, definitely meant to be the way that it happened because, yeah, right yes. now it's scarily good timing for it to be coming out. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing how everyone responds to that. So far, the reception has been fantastic. And um, I think, yeah, it's amazing to watch people connecting with the themes in the book when I've been working yeah. on them for such a long time, just me and, yeah. I know well now is obviously the wonderful part where other people get to read the book and you have to just sit back and let us um but you're right the book has been getting some amazing praise you've got like incredible endorsement quotes and obviously you know every endorsement quote on every book ever is you know I'm sure as an author you're so grateful and everything and but there's something different, I think, about the ones that are maybe, oh, this book is great, I loved it, to ones that you've gotten, like, this is the book I wish I had written, or this is the book everyone will be talking about all year. <laughs> and, like, those are, those are pretty it's incredible massive. and, like, you know, quite, I imagine it must feel so probably strange but hopefully good to get praise like that from your fellow authors. It's amazing. I mean, I still get a little tingle down my spine when you say that because I'm—I can't really believe it. You know that people say such lovely things and connect with a book like that, um, and particularly, um, yeah, these amazing authors. What can you say? I just—I'm a big fan of everyone who's written praise for this book. So, and I know that as well, the authors that are writing this kind of thing—they really tackle some of these themes as well. They're really interested in these themes and how to bring forward women and. So it's very rewarding to be at this stage and see that going on. That's so wonderful. Congratulations again, because it really is such an amazing book. Like, Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. It's incredible. <laughs> um, so, yeah, as we mentioned earlier, you do love dystopia as a genre. Like you said, The Hush was part of your PhD. Um, so we'd love to chat before we talk about your PhD specifically. It would be great to sort of, get your take on genre then because it does feel like really you've blended that dystopia with the thriller and you know what's your take on I guess the role that genre plays in publishing <laughs> um bit I, of a big question but yeah, yeah. <laughs> I never feel like I make it easy for publishers because yeah. I'm always blending genres. And I really, that's because I just write from the heart. And so I go, oh, what do I want to do next? And how do, and who's, which characters are really talking to me right now? And I go with it. So there's not really much I can do about that because I don't think I'd be able to write the same books if I wasn't really writing them with a passion. No. Um, and I think it's good that everyone does that. It's up, you know, it's up to us in the publishing industry to be like this is awesome <laughs> but I guess like we have to think about what to call it because I mean it's one of those silly things isn't it we like you have to decide somehow like what to call it so that people know where to put it in a bookshop and things like that and in the library I think mine are best in general fiction because my backlist is going to end up scattered across so many different categories <laughs> that everyone's going to think oh she's only written this one or that one because they're not ever going to be together but um yeah I think it's really interesting to talk about genre I think looking at all the dystopian I've been a massive fan of dystopian fiction for a long time and The Handmaid's Tale was one of the first books that I came across in that vein so as a team iconic so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um and set me off maybe on that path uh, but I think that now it's going to be really interesting to see what happens with this dystopia because I think in the publishing industry it's very it's a kind of nervous word now because we've had a lot of dystopian fiction it's had its big moment in a way um but we're also beginning to feel more and more like we're living in a dystopia and dystopian fiction in some senses is more relevant than ever but the dystopian fiction we already had is perhaps so depressing and confronting and I think 
now we need to galvanize you know popular culture in our society we're at that moment where we go where next where are we heading to climate change discussions and feeling like there's a time frame on life in a very different sense i think that dystopian fiction can still play an amazing role in those discussions and uh i would like to see people take it in different directions now and see what they can do with it because i certainly wanted to do that in the hush i felt like all those very very important books that were very confronting were the platform that i set my stall out upon but then went what do i do next at this moment in time to write in this genre because i can't repeat what's been done before and also everyone is struggling with now with what's been done before because we're watching more things come to pass than we would like so I think it's exciting to be able to think who's taking it in new directions I know one of the books I really loved while I was studying was the book of the unnamed midwife by Meg Ellison and she has written about this post-pandemic world but her character is such a brilliant feminist character but very practical as well rather than trying to save the women she just goes out handing around contraception and just yeah, does all these different things that are very practical minded about what she can and can't achieve as a woman in that scenario and that's probably top of my list in terms of different books that I found as I was going along um, but yeah I've appreciated them all for what they bring to the genre as well. So um, tell us a little bit more about your PhD. Um, Why did you want to go so deep on that topic? You know, that's such a huge commitment. Yeah, I am like a research geek, really. So (laughs) I love the research. I could stay stuck in the research forever. I just, every time I go in that library at Curtin, I just want to take photos of how amazing it feels to be surrounded by all these books (laughs) and all these minds. And I just, um, I always appreciate it every time I go. And I think the chance to do some deep thinking on a particular topic actually came to me at a really good time in life where it felt like everything was becoming sound bites and I was rushing everything and I didn't have time to think things through and the challenges of having children and being so busy in life. And it's just been such a joy to go deeply into one thing and see how much depth you can uncover. So I looked at dystopian fiction for young adult sorry, more like with young adult female heroines. Um, And often they had missing mothers. But one of the interesting things I found about that was that all the writers, all the female writers had in maternal longing all the way through the book, no matter whether the mother was present or not, those female characters felt that sense and that longing and that presence of their mother, however they felt about their mother. She was never irrelevant. And they depicted that in different ways. And that was fascinating. And it was also fascinating how, not that I've read as many male writers, but it tends not to to be there in the male fiction as much. Um, And yeah, then I looked at the idea of a mother's identity because we are just totally lost in what a mother's identity actually is. You know, we've got all these popular culture takes on who a mother is. And meanwhile, we're all trying to find our identity as mother and how the mother as a subject is actually so hard to pin down and constantly changing because the mother of a baby is not the same as a mother of a teen, even if it's the same person. Um, And so that identity development was really fascinating as well. And then I've looked at rebel mothers as well, although I'm still writing up my findings on that. So And then I've looked at how I brought all that into the hush, particularly how um, language is so difficult for the mother. So another thing that uh, Emma does is she uses her body as language quite a few times in the book because she hasn't got the language to express herself effectively so she finds a different form of language to be able to connect with her daughter and I really love that and I think that's very feminine and very beautiful that we are very physical you know we have this physical connection to our fellow women um, particularly uh, in familial relationships so I I loved bringing all those different elements that I learned about and that's just a snapshot into the book and trying to develop as many of them as possible so do you think that that study process and the academic process of that has made you a better writer absolutely yeah I think that it's just allowed me to think on sort of deep and contrary levels as well recognize paradoxes um, recognize uh, where I can push the envelope of something a bit more um, and yeah just bring out nuances and subtleties and try and write them so that like I said even if you don't 
overtly recognize them in the fiction hopefully I'm giving you the feeling of it all the way through the fiction that there is a depth here and there is a resonance here um, just by a little flavor of language that I might choose to write or something I might choose to ignore or the, the way that everything's brought together in the fiction I really hope that there is more depth there absolutely I think that definitely comes across even if you know we as readers can't quite put our finger on it yeah it definitely yeah Yeah. the feeling and the emotion is absolutely all there throughout the novel and you don't want readers to put their finger on it either you want them to be carried away in the feeling and the that's my job is to do the analysis and the choosing those perfect words wherever you can you never feel like you've got it right exactly right but (laughs) you know to try and go as far as I can to create that feeling so that the reader doesn't have to do that and the reader can just immerse themselves in the story get lost and come out with the sense of it at the end exactly you do all the hard work and then we just get to absolutely (laughs) (laughs) I find it fun so it's no (laughs) yeah yeah and um you haven't finished your PhD, is that right? I'm still writing up the theory. So I've, done, okay. I've written up three out of the four chapters. Um, so I've just got this one chapter, this Rebel Mothers, which is drafted, um, but it's just not quite there yet because life is going too fast for me and I can't keep up. Yeah. So. <laughs> That's all right. I was just trying to yeah, think. Resetting my boundaries there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair yeah. enough. I mean, it's a lot of work, so I still applaud you. But I was um, just thinking... Michelle, have we ever chatted to someone who's written a book with their PhD but who hasn't finished their PhD yet? I feel like most of the time the book is published afterwards. Absolutely, yes. I think so, although... I'm trying to remember. Yeah, I mean, no, I, I don't so. know. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 think, I think you're right there. I think you're right. Um, yeah, most times it's people who've, yeah, finished it first and then developed it further for publication. So, you know... I guess, was it just because you already had that experience as a published author that you could say, hey, so my next novel, <laughs> this is what I'm thinking. Well, I think the novel has just happened so much faster than I've been able to do the theory write-up. Yeah, it's such yeah. a big deal to write up this theory. that, And I really want to do it justice that I need space to be able to do that. I can't be doing different things at the same time. I do have to kind of put my head in one area and then sit in there so I know I'm much more effective when I do that and I would love to have got it done (laughs) sorry supervisors but um, (laughs) I tried my best but I just this last chapter you can send them a a copy of the book and be like here (laughs) read this while I'm waiting (laughs) and you know we I mean we still have to discuss what's actually going to get handed in novel wise for the PhD Mm. I mean I think you know pretty much will be what's there but it will be handed in separately as a study project so yeah I won't be late I mean do you have to do you have to print your own copy and like find it or can you I just think I, feel like it will. I think I probably will <laughs> I'll have a Isn't special so one printed <laughs> yeah a special one printed just for your PhD it's so yeah. funny isn't it because there are plenty of printed copies available I know. Now. <laughs> yeah and it's like, been done like for you. just said like how many times would this happen for them as well that they get the chance to be like, oh, real book to mark this time. Get out my red pen. <laughs> yes, I, just, I do definitely need to focus on that and get it done as my very next thing, though, because I'm determined that, yeah, we'll do that over the next few months. So, Lovely. Yeah, yeah it sounds fascinating, though. It sounds like it's really going to add to the conversation and stuff as well. And, yeah, we love we love all the nerdy research stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, oh, great. Yeah, I, love, I love hearing yeah. that research. So. Yeah. You know, sometimes like I, I've also, you know, will get really into things like I love analyzing media and obviously books like this is part of why we, you know, love doing this podcast and love talking in depth about all these different things. But, you know, like my partner, for example, is just like, I, I don't get why you have to analyze everything. I'm like, it's so much fun though. Like, I just love going into all that minute detail of everything and be like, oh, why did they use that? And why did they choose that color? And what's, yeah, like what's happening here? So, you know, it's nice to have a space to explore that as well. I do as well. I mean, one of the funny things is that when I get stuck as a writer, which you would maybe call writer's block, my go-to idea is to go and find a book that I love that is doing something similar to the thing that I'm stuck on 
and just analyze the heck out of it until I figure out how they did it really well (laughs) and then try and apply it into my work and I love that you know it's kind of a joy to be able to go and pick up something else and really look at word choice and sentence structure and see how they broke it all down to be able to come up with what they did so yeah I'm a total nerd about things like that <laughs> there's just never enough time that's the only problem yeah <laughs> not enough hours in a day <laughs> well thank you so much for joining us we've really enjoyed having a chat about this and and as we said the book is absolutely thrilling very very enjoyable to read but oh, it's let's so, hope yeah. that it's so it captivating and compelling yeah. and like once you start you're just like oh my god are they okay like what's gonna happen <laughs> yeah. it's so thrilling it's it's just marvelous so congratulations again on the novel and the publication um where can people find you online ah oh, so i am usually on instagram more often than not and that's at sarah foster author all one word but without the h and the sarah or i'm on facebook as well as sarah foster author they're my two main online places and then my website sarahfoster.com.au so <laughs> you can find awesome. me at one of those excellent happens but i believe the book is actually out the day this episode will air october 27 brilliant thank you so much well that's wonderful thank you for helping to celebrate the publication of the hush i really appreciate it oh we're so glad to be involved we loved it clearly well thank you so much take care thank you for listening to better words You can chat to us on Instagram at betterwordspod. And follow me, Michelle, at Unfinished Bookshelf. And me, Caitlin, at Just a Bookish Babe. If you liked this episode, please share it with a book-loving friend and leave a rating or review.